In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Dr. Akhtar Bacha is our guest this week on Money Tales. Born, raised, and educated in India, Akhtar was accepted to MIT for graduate school. As he explains, that was the easy part. To attend school there, he also had to win the visa lottery and receive a scholarship to make his dream come true. Fortunately, the stars aligned for Akhtar. From there on, his life was shaped by people asking him to do something different from what he'd been doing all along the way. As a curious and mindful person, Akhtar often said yes. These yeses led him to the enviable position of leading Microsoft's philanthropic efforts for 10 years, where there was no shortage of money conversations. Today, Akhtar is Chief Catalyst at Catalytic Innovators Group, where he advises organizations and individuals to catalyze their strategy focused on social and philanthropic investments. The author of Purpose Mindset, How Microsoft Inspires Employees and Alumni to Change the World, Akhtar also conducts purpose mindset leadership workshops with organizations to help individuals articulate their strengths and values and craft their purpose statement. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Akhtar hits on in this conversation. First, how when saying no to a request for funds from a charity or an individual, seek ways that you can provide some other sort of value to help them out. That might include providing them with guidance on where they might be able to get the support they need. Second, why it's important to consider why we exist and what our community needs. If we ask ourselves, who do we want to serve rather than who do we want to be, that can lead us to make very different money decisions. And third, Akhtar encourages us to write our own purpose statements. First, write down your top three strengths and then your top three values. From there, craft your statement by stating the impact you want to see and what you'll do using your strengths and values to achieve that vision. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, onto our conversation with Akhtar Badcha. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Sandy, I was reflecting on a conversation we had a day or so ago with a potential guest of Money Tales. She talked about an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. What I thought was interesting was the too much mindset where you have more money than you'll ever consume and use or need or give away but you just are in this cycle of wanting more. I've never really thought of it that way. I've really been so focused in our conversations around scarcity mindset and then beyond that. I think the key there is 
mindset and being aware of the mindset we have and how it's influencing the decisions we make, our outlook into the world, and especially when it comes to money, how it impacts our relationship with money, whether it's causing us to be focused on material items, whether it's having us focus on just saving and investing and not spending money and maybe getting in the way of us enjoying life, or maybe it's allowing us to use money in a way that's aligned with our values and what's most important to us. Sandy, that's what really struck me is there's a mismatch, not an understanding of what the money's for. What are your values? So as a result, you need to keep pursuing more money. And I thought that's an important concept to talk about and really applicable for our next guest. Absolutely. So along those lines, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Dr. Akhtar Bacha, as I like to call the purpose mindset guru. It's great to have you on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you very much, Tammy and Sandy, for inviting me. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Akhtar, would you introduce yourself and provide if you could, a couple pivotal moments. We'd love to know those things in life, those lightning strikes that happen that really impact who you are today. So I have a very unorthodox journey. I'm an architect by training, but I went into architecture after first wanting to be a nuclear scientist. But you know, I could hack it. It's really not my forte. Went into architecture, got admitted into architecture school, did very well, got admitted to MIT to come and do my master's, taught at MIT for a decade, moved into the nonprofit sector, started a nonprofit focused on technology and the digital divide in the early 2000s, became the head of Microsoft corporate philanthropy for a decade. And now, having done a lot of these in various sectors, it just gives me a license to do whatever I want. And I do it through teaching, through consulting to writing books and helping people discover their purpose and change people's minds. So so in some ways, that's my journey. And at each point, the inflection points were really interventions that were made by people that just asked me to do something. In almost all of these cases, they were just very different areas where people asked me, hey, come and do this. And I decided that, yeah, sure, why not? The power of people and the impact we all make. Sometimes we don't even know it. Tell us about growing up. Where did you grow up and how was money handled in your home? Grew up in India, Mumbai mostly. Middle class family, nothing great. Father was working in a shop. But we were always one step behind money. There was always a struggle to get money. And even in architecture school, my father would have to work incredibly hard to send me fees and money to live on. It wasn't that we were poor, but it wasn't that we were well-settled middle-class family either. Akshar, when you were growing up, were you thinking about money a lot? I think everybody thinks about money, but I wasn't ever in the state of, I want to accumulate wealth. When you're studying architecture, you're essentially saying, I'm going to become a professional. I'm going to have a practice. I'll do some amazing contributions in architecture and I'll be fine. But you're not going out and saying that 
I'm getting into this space because I'm going to be very rich or I'm going to make extraordinary amounts of money. That was never the goal. And it has never been the goal. When did you come to the United States? We came to the United States in 1981. So I've been here for 40 plus years. Spent very little time and you can compare in the lifespan. Just a third of my life was in India. The rest has been here. What brought you to the States? I came here to study at MIT. It was all luck. Win a couple of lotteries to be able to come here. First, you got admitted, which is in itself a lottery because there is really nothing else. But somebody is going to get admitted. Somebody else is not going to get admitted. And I only applied to MIT. And I had statistically a very small chance of getting admitted. But I did. But that was just one hurdle. Then I had to get scholarships. Otherwise, there was no way I was coming here. So that was another hurdle to get scholarships to come here. Then the third hurdle is to get a visa to come here. One in 10 applicants that come in as students get rejected for visa. So you kind of go through all of that and then you land up here and then you kind of look at it and say, okay, it's not because I had the money that I could come here. It's not because I had connections that I was able to get a visa or anything else. I hit the lottery and there were so many other colleagues of mine and friends who did not. And they got admission, but their visa got denied. So so life just takes a very different trajectory. And so, so that's how I landed up here. It wasn't because I was some super smart, extraordinary talent or anything. You were super smart. You were extraordinary, but that doesn't guarantee success. Does that impact your perspective on life and money? I assume so. I also happened to marry and we were married before I came here. And my wife is also an architect, but was also very good at numbers. So I actually, I've never paid a bill. I don't know my bank accounts at all. It just so happened that I was fortunate enough where I had a partner that was more focused on these things that allow you to live that I didn't have to focus on. it. I live in this la-la land. <laughs> I'm curious, transitioning your life from India to the United States, what impact did that have on your perspective around money? I really don't know, to be honest. We were poor students at MIT. You had to work, you had to pay tuitions, I had to take out loans to go through the US, and you did all of that, and you basically worked hard, and you had stuff. We thought we were great. We were in the U.S. We were living in Boston. We were at MIT. We were getting exposed intellectually to things that I would have never got exposed anywhere in the world. The kinds of people that came, the people you could interact with and connections you made. And then I was fortunate right after I graduated to start teaching. And that opened up whole new avenues. My wife was studying. She graduated. She got a job. We were trying to raise a family. At some point, you start thinking about saving and accumulating and going through the American dream. You got to buy a house, you got to save, you got to get cars, you got to do this, you got to do that. That's what we did. But at the end of the day, for us, we were just fortunate to be doing things that were, in my mind, extraordinary at that time. 
Tell us, Akhtar, what an exciting time for you to join Microsoft and head their overall corporate philanthropy. Tell us about how that came about. It was accidental. I was running a nonprofit here. I had a lot of folks on my board who were ex-Microsoft. One thing led to another, and the new head of the corporate and government affairs joined. They were looking to hire a new head for their philanthropy. We met, we had a conversation. I helped them with a presence at the World Summit on Information Society. At the NGO exhibit hall, we set up a big Microsoft pavilion. And I managed all of that. At that time, Microsoft was one of the most hated companies. It was the evil empire in 2003. And they saw that I knew a heck of a lot of people in that space because of our nonprofit that was working with a lot of these people. And they felt that I would be the right person to be the face of philanthropy for the company. And we had a debate whether I'd be better off outside or inside and eventually decided that running Microsoft's philanthropy would give me a much broader platform. And that's what it did. That sounds like a job where there's a lot of money decisions involved. Oh, yeah. The clients that we work with, many of them are philanthropic and they set up their own private foundations or donor advised funds. And I'm curious, as someone leading a large philanthropic organization, what did you learn about money, especially in terms of using money to solve problems that exist today quickly versus pouring into problems that don't have easy solutions and might need a lot of time and money? My job at Microsoft was to say no. Because there's so many requests. There are just more requests than we could ever handle. And being the head of philanthropy, I was the guy that was tagged to say no. There was a team where we made decisions and then they would go out and say, we have accepted your application or we want to partner with you. And my job was to say, okay, we can't give you money. How do I treat a nonprofit organization that has come to us seeking for support and treat them with dignity and respect and figure out ways by which we could still keep them in the ecosystem of Microsoft without writing them a check? So I had to say no to Bill Gates, and I had to say no to Steve Ballmer, and I had to say no to executives that would come and say, hey, what about funding this? And I had to say, no, this is not our priority area. We have a particular focus. It has to fit within the focus. And these guys were all very good. They absolutely understood and said, yeah, fine. So I had to learn how to say no without burning bridges, without feeling getting people upset. And that required far more tenacity than just saying (laughs) yes to everybody. Because everywhere you went, you had that neon light on your head that said Microsoft dollars. I was the most popular guy anyway. People invited me. People wanted to meet with me. People wanted to invite me to a party and to events and meet heads of state. And everybody thought I would write them a check. And it's a very different world that you're living in. You're living in this weird environment, which is not real. And my wife would have to kind of tell me, hey, you go to these things and you come back. Don't expect me to do your laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Celebrity status. Yeah, that you are where people carry your bags and you get whatever you want. And then you come home and you are us. 
Tell us some of the techniques you learned to say no, because I think this is very applicable to people in our own lives. Sometimes we have friends who need something. Sometimes it is related to our own philanthropy, where we get requests that aren't aligned with what we're trying to do. And people can really struggle with saying no. So what can we learn from you in that regard? Yes, I'll just give you an example from yesterday. There's a lady who called me up and said, hey, there is this kid who's very good, poor. He's applied to this class at UW. It's a boot camp. He doesn't have the money. Can you help him get a scholarship from UW? And I was like, I have no idea. This is not what I do. I'm not in the admissions committee. I'm not in the scholarship. I just go teach and come back. So I said, okay, what am I going to tell her? We had a conversation and I gave her so many different options. And at the end of the day, she came back and said, this has actually been a very helpful conversation. Because now I know how to follow up and I know where to go. The question is, you might say no. In our case with nonprofits, one of the things that you can say, hey, look, I can't write you a check. But Microsoft has an employee giving program. Get Microsoft employees to volunteer with you. And if they volunteer with you, their time is going to get mashed. And at times, this can become far more than what we would give you. We can provide you with technology support. We can invite you to gatherings. We can do so many different things with you. And in many cases, the nonprofits found that that was far more important than us writing them a $10,000 check and saying, go away. Because it would never be a long-term relationship. So the question is to get people to feel, first and foremost, that you're actually listening to them. Second, you're respecting them. Third, you actually understand what they're trying to do. And then providing them with some guidance of where they might be able to get support. It's just how we all as humans relate with with another human. It's not an organization to organization relationship. It's a human to human relationship. You're underscoring that there's a lot of different ways to give. Correct. There's financial, but then there's so much more. There's knowledge, there's connection, guidance that you provided. And I really appreciate you said sometimes it's more valuable than actually the money. Sometimes you need the money to get there, but this gift of information is really valuable. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There were times when I, when I was running my nonprofit, my parents just write me a check and stop telling me what to do. I know what to do. So I understood that because I came from that sector, having got thousands of no's for every one yes. People would cross the street when they saw me coming. So they know that he was going to beg for money. How fascinating to go from one side of the fence, running your own nonprofit, to being on the other side of the fence. And I'm back on the other side of the fence. This is reality in life. You've got to be able to experience everything. Akhtar, Cammy mentioned before that you're purposeful mindset guru. Tell us how you began to zone in on purpose and what role having a purpose mindset can play in our lives. So my wife joined Microsoft in 93 when we were on the East Coast. And then we moved here in 98. But I would see that Microsoft had this employee giving program where employees would get together to raise money for various causes. And I thought, look, I said, who are these crazy people? Why are they doing all this? And then we land up here and then I ran that program. And it always fascinated me as to why in a cutthroat company like Microsoft, which is all of these guys who would step over grandmother's face to sell software, had this other side of being engaged in the community, being part of the community, contributing to the community. And so the book was basically telling that story, a story of a company which I think has made far more impact through how Bill Gates, 
Mary Gates, Bill's mother, Bill Gates Sr., Bill Newcomb, the chief legal officer, all focused in on looking at creating an environment in this hyper-competitive company with young engineers that were going to change the world through technology, giving them an opportunity to get rooted into the community through the employee giving and volunteer program, where they basically felt that these were the people that were going to grow up here. They were going to get married here. They were going to have kids here. They were going to fall sick here. They worked 18 hours. Otherwise, they were never engaged in the community. So what avenues do we give? And in that, they actually created an environment where people became purposeful. Now, how do you think about extending that? Money is transactional. And our mindset has been a transactional mindset. We get our kids to grow up that way. We get ourselves to grow up that way. Everything is focused on who we are and how we show up versus why do we exist? Why do we exist? Why do we even need money? Why is money the driver? Why isn't humanity the driver? Why isn't community a driver? So we've grown up in this hyper-competitive growth environment where it's created this environment in which we are not thinking about anybody else except ourselves, which is not to say people should not make money, which is not to say people should not go to work, which is not to say that people should be only giving back their money. I don't believe in giving back. I believe in investing. How do you kind of get people to understand that at the end of the day, we only exist in a community? What are your thoughts on that? How do you do that? The work that I do is working with organizations and individuals and getting them to understand their strengths, their values, and craft a purpose statement for themselves. Why do they exist? And then help them guide through how that can show up in the way they live, for themselves, for their family, for their community, and in their work. It is really, at the end of the day, it is how do you show up for life? How do you wake up every morning and say, I don't exist just for myself? So it's helping broaden perspectives. Correct. And in that approach, you are now saying that I'm focused on the greater good, extending the common good. That I'm making money because I want this world to be a better place. I'm not making money because I can acquire 10 more things. Yeah, fine, acquire your 10 things. But at the end of the day, it's going beyond your closed environment into a much broader environment and actually looking at the world with a singular lens of abundance. There's that word again, Cami. Yeah. In my book, I articulate these five principles of a purpose mindset. The first is apply your strengths, recognize your strengths and show up with your strengths and not your weaknesses. Put on a lens of abundance. Third, focus on not doing things the right way, but doing the right thing. It is not about efficiency. It is about effectiveness. Ignite movements. It's not about building organizations. It's about igniting movements. Movements bring about catalytic change. And how do you show up to do that? And eventually it is how do we be on that path from generosity to empathy to compassion? Kailash Satyarthi, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, with Malala Yousafzai explained to me a few years ago that compassion is the center dot. Surrounding that is empathy and the outer ring is generosity. We will all be generous once in a while. But empathy is when you're really committed to somebody and that's where you are with your family and friends and people that you know. But compassion is can you extend empathy to 
anybody in the world. Now, most of us, and in his case, he used the language, are you willing to give your life for somebody that you don't know? We can all be on that path where we can stop focusing for a minute on the self and focus on the we and the common good. And if we can ignite that in our kids, in schools, and if we don't as parents ask them, who do you want to be? But instead, who do you want to serve? Now you get a completely different set of humans and money will become a player in that. That's where I was going. I really like that from a money perspective. That's powerful. How has this work, Akhtar, influenced your relationship with money? We all live in multiple lives. Of course, I mean, I'd say I should have money. I should be a multimillionaire. But at the deepest sense, I don't think I can actually even be that. Because that's just not who I am. If I got multi-million dollars, I'd probably just sit down and say, okay, here are 15 organizations or 100 organizations I need to support and there you go. Which is not to say we don't have stuff haven't traveled the world and we haven't done, but I feel that my time is better spent doing what I do with purpose than focus on money. Describe to us how we can take our first step towards a purpose mindset. Do three things. Write down your three strengths, write down your three values, and craft a purpose statement using that. What is the impact you want to see? Why do you want to do this, which is your values, and how are you going to do it, which is your strengths, and write down a statement, and then keep it on your wall and follow it. Wake up every day and say, am I doing something towards it for myself, for my family, for my community, and my work? Don't expect that your personal purpose and your work's purpose is going to be fully aligned, because if it is, then you are a robot, because you don't get purpose just from your work. You get purpose from your life. And then you want to find connections between everything that you do that allows you to strengthen that. In some cases, you will use your strengths with your family and yourself and your community. In certain cases, you will do it at your work. And same thing with your values and your purpose. It's not about being happy. This course at Yale, which is on happiness, is crazy. Say more about that, would you? Happiness is fleeting. It's a temporary sensation. You can't be happy without being sad. There's just no way. There is no white without black. There is no light without dark. So for us to actually say that I'm only going to be in light and I'm only going to be happy, but it's more about being content. It's how am I going to be content? It's contentment. Akhtar, I'm really curious in your response to this next and final question. What's your next money conversation going to be and who is it going to be with? I like to have conversations around humanity. Humanity is about discovering yourself and your place within a larger context. Money is a piece of it, but money is not the driver of it. If you're just living to make money, then we're kind of missing out on lots of things. Then you're not looking out like I am on a beautiful sunny morning in Seattle with blue skies, white mountain peaks, and a lake in front of me. We live in a place which is unique. It's this pale blue dot that Carl Sagan talked about. And everything that we know and we experience of humanity has happened on this little pale blue dot. And this pale blue dot only survives because we as humans are focused on humanity perspective and nothing else. We have no other place to go till... Elon Musk takes us to Mars. 
or somewhere else. But you are not going to replicate this pale blue dot in its uniqueness and its beauty anywhere. Yet. So our job as you wake up and when I talk to people is about that. Thank you for doing so and keep it up. We really appreciate you bringing your thoughts and ideas and history with us and our listeners. Akhtar, would you share, how would someone reach you if they're interested or find information about you? LinkedIn, send me a note, reach out to me, follow me. We have a LinkedIn site, Purpose Mindset. Follow us there, join us. Tell us how you are using your strengths and values and purpose. Right? I mean, somebody wrote a purpose statement for me which said that I want to wake up every day and be kind. Yeah, how difficult that is. So just be kind. If you have money and you want to make money, be kind. Thank you so much, Akhtar, for joining us on Money Tales. Thank you. I really appreciate this conversation. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.